This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 329. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Todd Fossey of Integrative Defense Strategies. Hello, Todd. Good to be here, man. So I'm, I'm, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I'm, I'm stoked to do this with you. Absolutely, man. Appreciate it. And yeah. appreciate you making of your time here today. So for sure, we're gonna have a great episode. Uh, in a moment, I'll, I'll, I'll give Todd the chance to kind of introduce himself. And uh, so, it, but I'm really looking forward to some really great content today. I know it's going to be good. Today's episode made possible brought to you by Guardian Nation. And so right now there's a special 14-day free trial of Guardian Nation. You should, you should take advantage of that, folks. Uh, it's really easy. No commitment. If you want to cancel within the 14 days, do it. Uh, you know, that's, that's fine. Like, we just want you to have a, a shot at checking it out, seeing if you like it or not. Uh, but uh, one big advantage of that 14-day trial is we, we see here Todd on the podcast with us today, but Todd's also going to be back with us tonight at 7 p.m. Mountain Time for our monthly Guardian Nation live broadcast. And that's an even more intimate setting and with you know Guardian Nation members only, uh, able to ask questions directly. And we, we do our absolute best, and I think we succeed for the most part of getting to everybody's questions. And making sure those get across, you know, to Todd, and Todd can uh, share with us his expertise and his response to those questions. Uh, it's a great time. Uh, we've had many uh, top names in the industry on Guardian Nation Live, uh, so take advantage of the free 14-day trial. And if you do that, you'll have access immediately to tonight's live broadcast. All right. So, how do you get to the 14-day trial? Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash 14-day. 14-D-A-Y. Concealedcarry.com forward slash 14-Day. All right, so check it out. All right? And we also recognize as an honorary sponsor, just because he's making available his time, uh, Integrative uh, integrative stri- <laughs> Strategies of Defense. That's kind of backwards. It. Integrative I forget defense it all stra- the time. <laughs> I forget it all the time. It's a mouthful. <laughs> integrative Defense Strategies, also known as IDS. IDS. Yeah, integrative yeah. Defense Strategies, guys. So uh, we appreciate again, Todd. He's here with yeah. us. So, Todd, let's jump into it, buddy. Tell us, yeah. tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, how you got to where you are today, yeah. and about IDS. Yeah. Uh, that question always gets me, dude. Like, I'm so terrible at talking about myself. Do you ever have anybody else in the show? It's like, God, I freaking hate that question. I want to talk about ideas. I want to get into stuff, but I'm happy to share it. Um, it's an important part of it's an important part of what we do, right? People got to know yeah. a little bit about me. It's just that my background is so is so different than what most people are used to, right? And my and and uh, my background is kind of how I came up through this is kind of weird. Uh, I started off as kind of a, a a weird kid who had this, uh, you know, intense interest in the mind-body connection and neuropsychology at a very young age, and I started to apply that to sports psychology at a young age, and I started to to break records and do things in sports that uh, that pe- that most people said couldn't be done, right? And uh, it was something that I also I think I was I was dealing with a lot of anxiety at the time. You know, as a, as a as a young kid at, at that age, and it's interesting because I'm actually kind of experiencing some anxiety right now, <laughs> right? So stress inoculation is a big part of is a big part of this whole process of personal protection and self defense. So when I'm experiencing some stress or I'm experiencing some anxiety, I think it's important that I articulate it publicly so that people know. Look, it's a normal, natural part of the human experience, right? So instead of trying to suppress it or be afraid of it or not talk about it, it's important that we sort of learn to use different types of strategies so that we can regulate that, uh, regulate that more effectively. And I'm doing my best to do that right now live on the air. So if there are other people out there that deal with stuff like that, um, you know, don't be afraid of it. Go out and, and learn different ways uh, that you can manage it, especially when it comes to regulating yourself during a critical incident, right? Yeah. That's going to be really super important. From there, I went on to college, and uh, I was a Division One athlete in college. I was a high hurdler at a top twenty, uh, top twenty university in track and field, and uh, I was really studying very intensely uh, sports psychology at the time. My major was uh, behavioral sciences, and I ended up having 
several Division I clients who wanted me to be their coach uh, when it came to mental training, much to the dismay of our sports psychology department, right? Mm -hmm. They wanted to be the, the people doing that, but they said, no, this is, this is my guy. This is the guy that I want to work with. This is a fellow athlete, and I like working with him. Um, so that was uh, where a lot of this sort of started and the approaches that I take start was, it was with the, you know, diving into the deep science of human performance and specifically neuroplasticity and neuropsychology and neurophysiology is really what my background is. Yeah. Um, so I parlayed that and I had, I, I worked with several elite athletes, elite teams, professional teams, professional, high level professional athletes and high level Olympic athletes on that level for, for a long time. Um, and I had a private practice in, uh, in that particular discipline for about 13 years where I also worked in, um, natural, uh, psych natural psychology, right? So for people who were looking for alternatives or adjuncts to pharmacology, people would come, uh, people would come and work with me. Um, uh, uh, I would say that my, my formal training in firearms and, uh, combative started back in the late nineties, about this, about this same time. I had a, I had a career in the, in the, in Hollywood in, in the film industry, uh, for about 10 years where I was a writer, producer, director, and uh, I met some guys that uh, were consultants on films, right? And uh, they, they heard that I was going to the range and they said, don't, don't go to the range. I said, well, where am I supposed to go? I live in LA, right? They said, come with us. So they would take me to this compound and they would say, sit in the back seat and pretend like you're one of us. And I would, they weren't really my instructors, but I would just go imitate and emulate the things that they were doing. So that started to open my eyes a little bit outside of the box of just your conventional generic marksmanship, right? Hmm. And I learned a lot from those guys and they started to steer me in the direction of combatives as well. And they, they steered me in the direction of Krav Maga. And uh, I worked uh, and trained with the Israelis for, for, for many years in the area of Krav Maga. And then I started to kind of diversify uh, my combatives and, and uh, with the preference of a little bit more of a holistic approach toward combatives, a little bit more adaptive approach toward combatives. Uh, the principles of MMA was what I started developing in the context of the armed citizen defender. Um, and all the way up to this day where that's, this is what, this is what I do. I, I specialize in an integration of multiple modalities simultaneously and have my own ongoing training regimen as well with my coach, Greg Nelson from the Minnesota martial arts Academy. For those of you who are, uh, at, uh you know, uh, heavy into martial arts. You guys will know Greg's name. He's kind of a legend in, in martial arts. Three UFC world champions and multiple world champions in, in a submission grappling, Muay Thai, and several other disciplines. And he's also a, uh, an instructor for um, uh, high-level um, military, top-tier military, special forces, uh, uh, SEAL 6, Delta, different Ranger teams, things of that nature. And so that sort of brings me to where I am today. Wow. Yeah, you're right. It, it, it's not a typical story for, you know, compared to uh, a lot of those that we bring on this program even. Um, so, you know, I was listening to you talk about uh, Krav Maga and, uh, and then you, you, you've, you've done some BJJ, you've gotten into MMA type stuff. And you mentioned a key word there that I wanted to kind of grab onto and that was adapt adaptive or adaptability, something along those, those lines. Because... Yep. When we're talking about fighting with people and, you know, a lot of us carry guns in the concealed carry community and we think, oh, I've got my gun, I'm good. Like, you know, if something happens, I'm just, you know, like I've got my gun, you know, like they're not really thinking or of the mindset that they could actually end up in a physical grappling type situation. Uh, you know, and how quickly can that happen? So, so, so quickly, you know, I mean, if you've been a long time listener of the podcast, you'll know that we've shared over the last three and a half years, hundreds of justified save stories is, is our term form, uh, or DGUs, uh, defensive gun uses. And in about a, at least a third of those instances that we've shared on this podcast, there is some form of physical encounter that occurs either before or during that eventual gunfight and so like that's how real that's how real this is that's you know and so so think about this right what's a common story that we've shared somebody breaks into somebody's home at night and sometimes that person in the home doesn't wake up until that person's over top of them maybe even beating them or stabbing them in their bed 
right? Yeah, absolutely. Or they or they hear the noise and they go to investigate it and they're in the hallway and next thing you know they're blindsided by somebody right there in yeah. their home. And yeah. it so very quickly it, it turns from where you think you're in your safe space and you're in your element, you're in your own home on your home turf, and you think I've got my gun, I've got you know it's it's in my quick access safe or it's on my nightstand or whatever it is, but, but you know sometimes you don't have that choice or that option as to whether it's going to get physical or not. It really concerns me because I, I I really feel like the status quo really has people set up with their mindset with a with a false sense of security. Let's take a look at the data. I'm a data freak, and the curriculums that I build are really sort of based on available data. Right? Hold on one second. Sorry, my my dog wants out of the room. Hold on. One <laughs> no no worries. Um, um, it's based on available data. If we take a look at the available data, right? Eighty um, percent of assaults are simple assaults. And now you're carrying a firearm, right? First of all, let's take a look at the use of force continuum. Most firearms instructors will talk about that, the use of force continuum. But what's important is that we are teaching people to have uh, principles that they can apply that fits the entire continuum, not just the top of the continuum, right? So now you're in a simple assault and you're carrying a firearm. And whoever's assaulting you either sees or feels that you have a firearm on you. That's going to immediately escalate that situation. So one, you you better be able to meet them with the appropriate level of force without going beyond that level of force. And two, you you better be able to employ strategies, right, that will allow for in-fight weapon access and in-fight weapon retention, preemptive retention, to quote Craig Douglas, right? Um, This is absolutely critical, even at the even at the at the the simplest stage. I think that. If I were king of the world, I would make sure that in-fight weapon retention, in-fight weapon access, and what we call weapons-based wrestling mm-hmm. should be in every CCW class. I think it's that important. And it goes, it goes beyond just in-holster and out-of-holster weapon retention. It's important that we understand the context of what we call fighting with the gun. We say, don't be a gunfighter at IDS, be a fighter with a gun. That's one of our mantras. So, so if we're talking about the mitigation of probabilities, there's a much higher probability that you're going to need those hands-free skills than you are your firearm skills. But chances are very good that if you're fighting with your hands, you're probably going to end up fighting with your gun. If you're fighting with your gun, you're probably going to end up fighting with your hands. So it's important that we are integrating those modalities all into one, especially the decision-making portion of it, not just the kinetic skills, not just knowing how to fight, but knowing how to fight in the context of the citizen defender, because context will dictate strategy. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. Context is everything in everything that we do. Uh, Context establishes... uh, you know, our approach to, you know, how, uh, when we're outside of the home, for instance, when we're out in, in a public environment, you know, what's the context of where, of where we're located, what's going on, you know, what's the weather like even, I mean, like, that's something that people don't even necessarily think about sometimes, like the weather can, can change so much as it relates to context. Uh, you know, you're up in Minnesota, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're totally. really cold up there at t- certain times of the year, you know, that, that changes everything. Absolutely. Uh, so context is everything. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of reading a really interesting book uh, right now. Uh, it, it took me a while to get to it. Uh, it's been on my list for some time, and I, I'm like, man, I should I should have read this like years. You know, well, I think it's only been out a couple of years, but I should have read it like a year or two ago. Uh, and that's Violence of Mind, uh, Varg Freeborn. Holy smokes! Like context is everything. So I'm glad Absolutely. you pointed that out. So. <laughs> Clearly, we have somebody here uh, viewing the live feed on Facebook that knows you, uh, Tony Dante. Uh, and he wrote here, and he basically summarized what you just said. As IDS students, we are fighters with a gun, not gunfighters. We believe most physical confrontations happen within a six-feet circle. We are taught to meet the assailant with the appropriate level of force. Our weapons-based wrestling is the key. So, you know, the reality, Todd, is that uh, very few people... Uh, like, okay, so <laughs> I like to think of it this way. You know, in, in America, we have 330, 350 million people, maybe almost now. Uh, you know, okay, so then maybe 30 or 40 million of those, yeah, it might, it's probably higher than that, but probably 30 to 40 million people, I think, actually own guns with the idea of self-defense, okay? Uh, there's there's millions more that own guns, but not necessarily with the defensive context in mind, right? Um, they're they're hunters or sports shooters or whatever. Okay, yeah. so then a subset of that, you know, maybe 50, somewhere between fifteen to twenty million are those that would be concealed carriers uh, that actually have permits or or carry, 
out of those, maybe, and this is anecdotal, it's true, but uh, just based on my experience, and plus we've done some surveys and things with concealed carry that I think gives us a little bit of insight into this, maybe <laughs> a million people, maybe a little more, but it's not, it's it's a very, it's a surprisingly small number of people that actually take concealed carry seriously and carry regularly on their person, like on a, it maybe doesn't have to be a day-to-day basis, but just regularly, right? Because there are those that have permits and you know who they are. I know who they are. I know I know the people I've taught through classes. They're like, ah, I'm just here to get a permit. Well, why are you getting your permit? Well, because, you know, I just think it'd be good to have. Okay. All right. I mean, that's cool. Like, hey, man, cool. Good for you. I'm glad you're here. You know, and then, then my my job, I feel, is to somewhat inspire them, to hope to inspire them. Like, there, you know, there's there's... Like that's that's cool. You think it's you know a good idea to have a permit, but like why? Like what what's the real driving factor? You know, like there's got to be something yeah. deeper behind behind that, right? So anyway, so we might have one to two million people actually carry seriously on a regular basis, right? Then out of that, <laughs> how many people actually take more advanced handgun training beyond a concealed carry course? That's a small fraction. And then beyond that, how many people actually take? BJJ, MMA, Krav Maga, you know, hand-to-hand combatives type courses. It's a small and, subset. And then, and then how many of those are integrating the firearm with their combatives? Yes. Just to have it as a holistic, interdependent system of principles. To me, those, those, those self-defense principles, and I'm not even talking about the soft skills. I'm not talking about situational awareness, conflict avoidance, right? Deterrence, detection, verbal commands, after action, aftermath, emergency first aid, uh, you know, yep. CQB. Uh, the whole list goes on and on. Yep. I, I think we really need to look at it as a, a, the IDS approach is a holistic approach where to us, all of those principles are, are indivisible. Like it's almost impossible for me to view this from any other perspective. To us, it's multidimensional, right? Whereas the traditional mindset is really that of a circle or a square. And what we're really talking about is what? A sphere or a cube. And trying to describe what the sphere or the cube looks like to people who are living really in a two-dimensional self-defense reality or a one-dimensional self-defense reality is really difficult. And it's one of the reasons why I come on podcasts to talk about these things, to try to get that message out, even if it's not comfortable for me all the time to do it. I think the message is more important than how I personally feel about it, about coming onto a podcast. You're a great guy. You've got an amazing podcast. I'm honored to be here. But, you know, it's, we, we've got a message. Like it's time for people who carry a firearm to go beyond what, they're, what, what the status quo, you, you know, usually is because they're, they have an awesome responsibility. We're talking about making decisions in milliseconds that can mean the difference between life or death or going to prison for the 30 years or not. That has the same level of stakes as what a brain surgeon or a heart surgeon would have, right? Yeah. And if you had a brain surgeon or a heart surgeon, you would want someone that was practicing on a regular basis and was training at the highest possible avail- level available to mankind. That's the kind of responsibility that you have when you're carrying a firearm. You know, I don't even really consider myself to be a firearms instructor. I teach just as many classes that are hands-free or integrated with hands or not. I consider myself to be a, a, a personal protection instructor that sees the firearm as an extension of those yep. principles or an inclusion of those principles. Yeah. Do you mind if I read a quick quote here that I Please have from do. Bruce? It's from Bruce Lee. <laughs> and, I, and I have another quote from Ken Murray, if it's okay. I, I'd like the opportunity to read those two do quotes if you're, if you're good with it. We love quotes. Um, this is from Bruce Lee. Real combat is not fixed, but very much alive. Set patterns incapable of adaptability or pliability only offers a better cage. So if we're training in a way that is teaching people to have sort of this set crystallized approach, it can really be teaching them to, that, to, to respond in all of the inappropriate ways that is required to be successful during violence. Mm. And that's exactly, that's exactly what he was saying. One of, my, one of my favorite analogies that I borrow from Ken Murray, who's been a huge influence on me. And first time I heard Ken Murray talk, I was like, yes, somebody else thinks about this. Like I freaking think about this, right? And someone at his level was very validating for me. It was a big moment. But I heard him say, um, generic marksmanship is the equivalent of figure skating and fighting with a gun is the equivalent of hockey. 
right? Mm -hmm. Try and do a triple toe loop in the middle of a hockey game and tell me how well that's going to work out for you. (laughs) They're both on ice. They're both in the same rink in the same arena. They're both on skates, but the context is very different. So skating for hockey and I'm up here in Minnesota and hockey is a religion here, right? (laughs) Watch how, watch how, watch how they skate during hockey. They skate in a very different way because they're in a violent context, right? And we, we, we view shooting in the same way, right? We view shooting the same way. We're going to shoot a little bit differently. And our context is going to determine um, the different strategies that we take. The, mm-hmm. the second quote is actually from Ken Murray from his book, Training at the Speed of Life, which is really a masterwork. So anyway, here's what Ken Murray has to say. Yeah. This is page 25. Um, this is a quote from a quote, by the way. I, this is a quote from Rob Pincus's book, uh, counter ambush quoting ken murray's book uh training at the speed of life page 25 meanwhile for those trapped in the stone age of conventional firearms training it's important to understand the difference between training to meet some arbitrary standard of precision versus training for combat firing a weapon in the effort to qualify requires a measure of concentration that can be best described as a fine motor skill Firing during combat is very different because of the many factors, that's the main point at play, with the SIL component being better described as a complex motor skill. The variables in violence are not repeatable and they're unpredictable. So we should have an adaptable set of principles that, so, that we can, uh, so that we can adapt to that, that fluid, dynamic, and violent environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. You know... Uh... Speaking of, so I, I was in a Dave Spaulding course not too uh, too many weeks ago, and uh, this is not necessarily quoting him perfectly, but it was sort of taking what he was saying, and you know I just I wrote this down, you know, kind of inspired by what he was saying. He said some some things that were very similar, but uh, what I wrote down is the problem is not adapting; it's and I thought this was interesting. It's being adaptive yes and i thought that's you know that's like that's like one of those things you read and you're like if you have to think about it a little bit that's deep you know like the problem's not adapting <laughs> it's being adaptive it so it how would how would you based on what you just shared with us how would you interpret that um i'm, I'm kind of an analogy freak right obviously <laughs> uh there's an analogy that i Here's an analogy that I use when uh, we certify instructors, right? We take a little bit different approach toward training. And I'm, I'd, be, I'd love the opportunity to talk about that a little bit today, sure. which, I think, which I think lends to this theme. But um, one of the things that I teach my students and one of the things that I teach instructor, our, our IDS instructor um, candidates is, um, is this. I, I let them know that each time that you come to train with me, I can give you a new key for your key ring, or maybe a few new keys for your key ring, your self-defense key ring, right? And after a while, you're going to have this huge key ring, right? Full of keys. Like we see the classic janitor, right? Custodian has this huge, this huge key ring. And now somebody's trying to kill you and your nervous system suddenly has to go through and find all the right combinations to these keys in order for you to be effective. Hmm. That's kind of a maladaptive approach. I would, I would rather teach you to be a key maker so that you can teach, so that you can make the key that you need to, or the combination of keys that you need to on the fly. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, That way you are being, you are being adaptive. Right. Mm. As opposed to, yeah. As opposed to the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how, that's how we view it. Yeah. And and that's kind of, I think how I view it as well, you know, as far as, you know, being or adapting I mean, any, maybe not anybody can adapt because there are definitely people that are unable to adapt and that gets them killed as well, you know, or gets them in trouble. Um, but sometimes you might adapt, but you don't really understand um, the yep. actual reality of the situation and you adapt in the wrong way. But yes. being adaptive, you understand, you know, that I think implies you understand better what's going on and you, and yes. you, and you look at the, you know, of course, this all happens, you know, in a split second, right? And that's what's key, so key about training and spending time practicing and exercising these various, dare I call them, keys yeah. or, or pieces of keys, yeah. you know, yeah. to where you start recognizing situations and go, ah, you know, and without having to spend a lot of time 
dwelling about it or or thinking about it, you recognize yeah. the situation for what it is, and then you plug in what you know. Yes. You know what what you know yes. is going to work. You can improvise. It's like yeah. you're like a great you're like a great jazz musician, right? You're the master of your instrument. You're the master of your craft, but you never play the song the same way twice because you're not feeling the same way, or you have a different audience that night, or you know maybe your your instrument's a little bit out of tune, right? So you have to be you have to be able to improvise to what the situation calls for. And so we think that training should be more of a, a fluid style of training that's more conducive to improving performance instead of, you know, uh, arbitrary quanti- you know, quantitative outcomes. I think a lot of people in this area are still sort of in this stage where they're suffering from something called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Are you familiar mm. with the Dunning-Kruger effect? Oh, yeah. Where people of low ability are suffering from illusory superiority. They believe that their abilities are much higher than they are. And they, and yep. the, a part of the Dunning-Kruger effect is that, you know, they, they have an inability to rec- recognize their own ineptitude. It's this really interesting thing as instructors we see happen all the time. So they're suffering from this false sense of confidence, which I think is only fostered through our culture, to be honest yep. with you, going all the way back to our folk heroes. Who were they? Our, our country was founded on what? On warriors with firearms. So we get a lot of esteem out of being a good shot. Right. And then all of the folk heroes, you know, we've got our Annie Oakley's and our Wyatt Earps and, you know, and then and then what do we have after that? We've got um, uh, we've got Kung Fu theater and, you know, mm-hmm. we've got video games and and and, uh, and and modern modern movies today, which really only perpetuates this false sense of security that they're just going to be able to mysteriously rise to the occasion and handle it. And it really concerns me. Yeah. Uh, there is a uh, comment here. Uh, actually, really kind of a question. And I, I wanted to ask you about this a little bit as well, uh, because uh, I, I do think this is important, right? So Sean here comments, so just a thought, he says, what about older people who conceal carry or people with disabilities? You can't expect them to go learn MMA or IDS or whatever, right? What do you suggest they do other than, than conceal carry? Now, and that was something I wanted to ask you too, Todd, is that I think to a lot of people, you know, when people start be, uh, to your point, you talked about how the, the idea of a firearm and having a firearm, owning a firearm, using a firearm is very, it runs very, those roots run deep in our culture, right back to the founding of this nation. Uh, so we have a second amendment, you know, like that no other country has because of how important the founding fathers felt that was the ability for, for the people to be able to, to carry arms. So again, where I'm going with this is I think people, when they start becoming defensive minded, it's usually because something happens in their life, in their environment, uh, something prompts them, they go, ah, you know, that's not cool. You know, it's the, my neighbor got, you know, raped. Uh, you know, we, we had an attempted break in, uh, an act, you know, a, a lockdown happened to my kid's school. You know, just like it, it could be yeah. any of these little things that happen in life and someone, you know, suddenly it wakes them up a little bit and they go, hmm, wow, like if this happened to me at this time, what could I do about that? And, and for most people, because there's not a lot of people that get brought up training in the martial arts uh, or other hand-to-hand combatives. And so the thought goes first to the gun. Well, I need to get a gun. So they get a gun. And that begins the journey of, okay, uh, for the first time in my life, I'm shaken out of my current status quo to realize that, wow, life sometimes can be really crappy and dangerous. So I get a gun. And for most people, unfortunately, they kind of stop there. Now, some people... uh, it's not necessarily a choice. It's that literally they, they have some physical incapabilities uh, or it could be all, all sorts of things. I mean, just, just finding the time to train, just finding the time to train to learn how to use a gun, that's a commitment for a lot of people. Now when we start talking about, well, you should you should have some basic knowledge of, on things like trauma, you know, dealing with uh, field medicine, you know, the, the application of even just a simple tourniquet or whatever it is, right? Like some people go, oh, like, now we're starting to get really deep on them. And then we say, hey, you need to have good hand-to-hand fighting skills, wrestling, MMA, BJJ, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, what, what is your advice for someone that might be either physically incapable of 
pursuing some of those things, or they're just kind of like feeling overwhelmed about all this stuff we're telling them need to do. Where, where do they start? Yeah. I I can totally empathize with how this conversation could be overwhelming to a lot of people, right? Yeah. (laughs) Especially if they're starting from zero, which is a great thing. That's a great thing. The most important step is just that first step and then just keep taking those little steps. Look, look, this, this conversation, if we're going to be intellectually honest, yeah, this conversation is paradoxical because mm. there are people who use firearms every day that don't have a lick of training and they do it successfully. So true. Okay. Um, however, there are also a lot of catastrophic things that happen because people don't are undertrained, and uh, that's not talked about enough. Okay. But yeah. if we're going to be intellectually honest, we could crunch all the data, but I don't want to burn all the time on that. Most people already know what that data is. Okay. Um, the firearm is the great equalizer right? It's, it's a fantastic force multiplier, especially for someone who has limiting attributes. It's one of the, one of our philosophies actually of IDS is each, each human being is unique. We don't want to have a cookie cutter approach. We want to take an an approach that we can teach people that, that they can be adaptive for whatever their set of circumstances, circumstances and attributes are. This is a very important thing. So let's just say, for example, by the way, we have, we have students that are in their eighties and are killing it right? Mm. There's a lot that you can do. I would say that one of the things that is overlooked a lot in the training world is training to have really sound and decisive decision-making. We can work in three dimensions now with modern training aids like you guys provide on your website. I was at your, I was at your presentation at USCCA. It was great. We have modern training aids now where people can practice at home with other friends in three dimensions or hopefully find an instructor that can set up some little micro scenarios and exercises that are an emulation or simulation of what happens in reality, right? So now they're starting to learn Pat, you know, there's pattern recognition taking place over time. And now they're starting to recognize things and learning to have trained and measured responses. To me, that's even more important than having being some, you know, wizard of MMA in the, in the context of self-defense. I, I really do. I really do believe that. But if we can now add on, what can you do physically? There are things that you can do and understand physically, even with high levels of limitation, that will increase your odds during a critical incident at, at close distance dramatically. If people only knew how simple it really is, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. I think people have this illusion that it has to be this fancy, complicated stuff. A little bit, a little bit of something practiced repeatedly over time goes a long way. You know, so find someone who can teach, who can adapt to what your circumstances yeah. are and teach you. I think that, I think that's really important. What you just said there a second ago reminded me, uh, speaking of quotes, I guess today is the episode full of quotes. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I was thinking about that and, and the Bruce Lee quote, advanced skills are the basics mastered. Absolutely. So, you know, it's not always necessarily about like, knowing all this stuff because like you can you can really learn a ton of stuff and the question is you know of how much or of all that stuff how much of it is actually useful to you yeah and then how much are you able to actually start mastering even just some basic skills yes so he said advanced skills are the basics mastered absorb what is useful discard what is not Exactly. We want the fewest number of solutions to as many problems as possible. Mm. And oftentimes what happens is, is people will experience these padded curriculums. It's one of my criticisms of our firearms training is really more of a martial arts model. It's a martial arts business model where people have memberships and they come and train with inert and non-lethal munitions all throughout the week. Mm. Like MM, it's, like a, it's like a martial arts. And then we, we, what we do is we validate those skills with live fire. You know, about 10% of our training is live fire. Mm. Okay. Um, so, uh, what was I saying? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, what, was that, what, what was I talking about? I what was your question again? <laughs> well, I, I just commented how, you know, advanced. Fewest no, oh, fewest, fewest number of yeah, solutions to as many go. problems as possible. That's what we want. That my, my criticism of martial arts oftentimes is they develop these padded curriculums that are designed to extract as much time and energy and money from people as possible, as opposed to just cutting right to the chase. We're t- we want to train citizen defenders. What do they need to know right now? And what do they need to learn, leave today knowing right now? On the other end of the spectrum, in my opinion, is the firearms world. They're, the training for firearms world is way too few and far between. There's no possible way that 
at what the what the level of, of frequency that's happening for most people that they that they can reach any level of competence, right? I love to be able to talk about the the neurophysiology for the, the different levels of competence so that people really have a good idea of really what that means and what the science is for how competence and mastery is really developed. My opinion is if you're going to be a, a responsible citizen defender, then you should be at a level of unconscious competence with a wide variety of other, of other disciplines, not just the firearm. Mm-hmm. You know, the firearm probably isn't going to be your, your best first choice. Yeah. You know, we could back this up even further, you know, and, and we've touched on a few elements of this, but, but before we even start talking about fighting uh, or using a gun, mindset is crucial, Everything. right? Right? It, that's like where everything starts. So, I mean, because how many things could be avoided if, you know, when somebody had the right mindset and was, you know, and, and I'm not just talking about situational awareness. I'm talking about you're you are in a place where you are aware of your surroundings appropriately aware you are you know whether it's how you're dressing like for instance i'm wearing a 511 shirt i don't wear this shirt and go walk down 16th street mall here in denver right you know like i might wear it because i'm here at home and maybe i'm running up to the kids swimming pool which you know i'm not as likely to encounter some you know random gangbanger on the street that goes Oh, you know, I don't like you. You must be a cop. You know, you were in five eleven. Like, you know, like, yeah. like you 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 want to be as gray as you can be. You know, gray man, right? You you, you know, in, in the appropriate situations, it's that's that's all part of it. It's about you know integrating yourself into your environments in such a way, and being aware of of who you are and what you're doing and who else is around you and what they're doing. Pattern recognition, you talked about that. How important is that? That's also a big part of mindset, you know? Huge. Because you're training Huge. your mind in such a way that you are learning what the patterns are and you're recognizing patterns and you're recognizing when those patterns are broken and you go, you know. And you're, and you're not getting stuck in indecisiveness or denial. Right. You know, and sometimes people will talk about, how, well, my gut instinct, you know, like I felt like something was not quite right. It, 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 there's no such thing as like a gut instinct, right? Like what that is, is, and I'm sure you get into this because you're you're big about <laughs> psychology yeah. and physiology and all that. Uh, that. That's your brain going, something is off in this environment. You might not always be able to pinpoint it, but something cued you into... Yeah. Something has broken the pattern, and now I need to figure out what it is or what I need to do so that I keep myself from getting into trouble. Absolutely. Oh boy, all the places, <laughs> all the places that, all of the places that we could we could go with that. Run but, away with um, that one. <laughs> <laughs> how, how much time? How much time do we have? I mean, it, we have as much time as you have. Uh, I, w- I would love to just totally <laughs> geek out on that because I think, you know. Um, Look, 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 the, the, the modern, the, what's happening with the, with the training paradigm today is really way far behind in terms of what, what is now understood in terms of what's possible for training, especially when it comes sure. to uh, psychophysiology and neurophysiology and neuroplasticity and how training happens and different sec- different parts of the brain, how different parts of the brain learn and respond. I mean, it goes beyond, we can understand fight or flight, right? But what do we do about fight or flight? Great, you know fight or flight, but you haven't learned how to manage it. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We could take this in really an infinite number of uh, an infinite number of directions, but to to sort of your your core point here, trusting your instincts is such a big deal, and so many people get caught off guard because they they don't trust their instincts. You know, they don't trust their instincts. They they don't when they're when they're feeling weird. They feel like they don't want to be socially inappropriate. Right. Yeah. They don't want to do do or say something is going to be embarrassing. Getting mm-hmm. people to just raise their voice, voice and assert themselves in a way or to remove themselves from that situation and create as much distance as possible because distance needs get skill. Right. And distance what it creates more and more opportunities for us to make to make good decisions yeah. and sound decisions. Right. So even just those simple things that the person who had the question about, well, what can I do if I have physical limitations? You can do these things. And you can teach other people to do these things. These things are, are really like the super important stuff. Yes, we can talk about all kinds of fancy stuff and we can yep. do all kinds of fancy and impressive stuff, but that's where the rubber meets the road right there. For sure. Can I give you just a, a real life example that just happened to me like two days ago? 
maybe yeah, three man. days ago. It was just in the yeah. last few days. Just talking about, you know, kind of what we're talking about right now. You know, uh, I, uh, I had my daughter with me in my pickup truck, and we get stopped at a light. And little traffic going through the cross traffic, you know, and I'm sitting there kind of like, it's one of those things you're like, man, like, why is this light taking so long to change, you know? And like, I, like I could go, like, there, there's, no, there's no traffic, right? And this other vehicle pulls up next to me, and I glance over, you know, just kind of a cursory glance. Yep, okay, all right. And as I did that, this guy looked back at me, and in that instant, I went, I don't want to make eye contact with him. You know, like, because I, I sense that this is this is an aggressive person, you know, uh, and if, if I stare him down, it may escalate something. You know what I mean? It was it was really weird. I, I, it's been a while since I had a situation exactly like this happen. I was yeah. literally the whole time at that point, I recognized I'm like, this could be somebody that, you know, is looking for somebody to pick a fight with today, uh, you know, and so, you know, you, not knowing what, you, you know. <laughs> exactly what the situation is but being ready for just about anything i was literally ready to slide my finger off that brake and just punch the gas and just get the heck out of there you know if he was going to start stepping out of his vehicle if he's going to roll down his window you know maybe pull what pull a gun whatever like i was ready to just punch it and go you know um you know so just little things like that you got to you got to pick up on that and go something doesn't feel right here whether that's your so-called gut instinct or whatever it is right so um real quick i wanted to ask you you've talked a couple times about stress inoculation Mm. what can the average person do to start inoculating themselves against stress Mm. are we talking about stress inoculation in the context of personal protection and self-defense during a critical incident or are we talking about stress inoculation in general there's overlap there but they aren't exactly the same well, I think we, we talk in the in the uh, personal defense, you know, narrative because yeah. that's that's yeah. what we're here learning about today. <laughs> yeah. At IDS, we do courses on it. We do right. courses on stress inoculation and we teach people how to – it requires practice. Yeah. It requires daily, you know, daily practice, to be honest with you, just like everything else does. Um, it requires to have someone leading you through the process of stress inoculation who understands that there isn't one single pathway or one, you know, sort of binary switch on and off it doesn't work that way it happens well a lot of it happens well below the surface of our conscious awareness so it's really a combination of different things one way that you can do that is through systematic desensitization right you want to inoculate yourself to stress go to your local mma gym and start training Mm-hmm. You'll, you will become more and more inoculated with stress because you have immersed yourself in that kind of environment where you feel more and more comfortable with that kind of, we'll call it force. Because for me, violence has a victim, right? Yep. That's, how I, that's how I look at it. Um, that's one way that you can do it. There are processes that your instructors can take you through to help you desensitize to these certain things. There's something that I teach. It's called autogenic training and autogenic conditioning. So I teach people specific techniques so that while they're in um, scenarios that are inducing adrenaline and stress hormones, they're starting to the process of switching from the fight or flight response, which most people are aware of, and then slowly diluting that that fight or flight response over into the relaxation response, scientific terminology, sympathetic response into parasympathetic response. Most people don't know that we have an equal equal and opposite response in our body to fight or flight. And that's, that's the sympathetic nervous system. Early in the interview, when I was experiencing nerves, right, what did I do? I employed those techniques so that I could begin the process of, I call it the dilution solution of diluting those literally diluting all of those stress hormones and adrenaline with beta endorphins. So now I could start to have a more relaxed, effervescent experience. And my brain, instead of being in this sort of downshifted primal, you know, survival state, now slowly begins to go back into brain coherence. And that's what we want. We want to be able to regulate brain coherence as much as possible. That's the key Mm. to making decisions. And it, it just might be a matter of, how quickly you recover. Same with the freeze response. You, if you've been practicing these techniques, you can pull yourself out of a freeze response uh, as well in a way that's going to be more effective for you if you're faced with the unthinkable. So mm-hmm. in a very general way without going too deep, I think that's maybe the, the best way to put it. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and you know rely on some of my own experience the last couple of days, just to give you a sense of what we have been filming here at concealcarry.com. We're working on an upcoming uh, video training course. And uh, part of that, you know, is 
actually showing the things we're talking about, showing effective use of cover, showing shooting from different positions and things like that in a realistic type environment. And to do that, it really just makes sense to do force on force type scenarios, right? Uh, Force on force is so huge, I think, in terms of stress inoculation. Um, I've done force on force in the past where I did it regularly enough, partly because of my work in in law enforcement and I had opportunities to do this on a regular basis that, uh, you know, you you get to a point where you're just like, yeah, okay, yeah, you know, know, I'm going to grab this gun loaded with uh, training munitions, uh, UTM, munitions, whatever, and I'm going to shoot that guy and he's going to shoot me, you know, like I'm going to obviously try to keep that from happening, but, uh, you know, the more you do that, you kind of get to where like it's just normal, right? And and it doesn't you know get you as excited or jacked up like like it used to. Yeah. Um, so it's, you systematically desensitized. Right. Right. Two days ago, we are filming some stuff with Tony Lambrea from UTM, and we set up scenarios. And I recognize I'm like, oh, I'm getting jacked up a little bit because it's been a it's been a, I'm ashamed to admit too long since I've had the opportunity to do some yeah. of that stuff, and I'm like. Yeah, yeah, you know, but but when you've been there and you've experienced it a bit in the past, you can fairly quickly get back. I might still get my heart rate going a little bit. I might be breathing a little bit, and it, but it's less about being kind of mm, fight or flight. It's more about turn that energy into. I'm gonna, yes. you know, I, I'm gonna yes. turn this into aggression. I'm gonna turn this into. I'm trying yes. to win this fight, you know, and not get jacked up because I'm I'm afraid or whatever it is. Right? Like that's the key. Is yeah. like. And, and, but not just about turning it into fight, because as you, as you mentioned, I mean, we could be in fight or flight mode, but neither one of those is perfectly ideal. Uh, sometimes it is the right move just to get at, get the heck out of there. Sometimes, yes, we want to fight, and that's a good thing, but we want to fight with cognition, right? Me- measured and conditioned responses. Yeah. We call it, that's what we call training. We call it baking into the cake. So we do a lot of different levels of force on force at IDS to us. That's how we make an accurate evaluation consistently over time for what level of competence a student is at. Yeah. We throw them in different levels of, of complexity and aggression and, and uh, exertion when it comes to different types of scenario work. Yeah. Um, And that's really the best we think is sort of the best measure to, to, to make an evaluation. So, yeah, I mean, being able to man like that, that quote from Ken Murray, right? Being able to manage all of those variables simultaneously is something that most people never have the opportunity to experience, especially people who are, aren't in law enforcement or military, right? But our context is different than law enforcement or military. So we have to train for our context, right? Mm-hmm. And now they don't have the opportunity to experience that type of training. So we think it's really, really important that people are learning to process even just the unknown will get your heart rate up, right? Just you don't know what you're going to have to deal with, let alone to process all of those variables simultaneously will create a level of overload that will, you know, will will secrete a fair amount of stress hormones and adrenaline. And then we know all of the predictable changes that will happen from there. Learning how to operate in that place and learning, training yourself to default, right? To what's burned into your cerebellum over time. Mm-hmm. That's, 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 where it's at. That's where unconscious competence lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, back to, you know, stress inoculation or finding opportunities to do that. I just learned something new this week that there is a great, uh, trainer right here in the Denver area that we're probably going to be doing some stuff together and working together on some stuff because he, he, his business is basically force on force training. Like that's that is his bread and butter. That's his business, and I'm like, I can't believe I didn't know about you sooner. Um, and there's a lot of places right where, whether it's force on force, whether it's actual, you know, stuff like what you. I, I love the fact you guys are that that you do a lot of things. That you're very well rounded, I think, in your training approach and what you're what you're teaching people. Um, there's probably all kinds of opportunities in a lot of different markets around the country that, you know, we should be looking for those opportunities. We should be actively talking to uh, to people we know, talking maybe to some of the local law enforcement officers like, hey, do you know of of a good BJJ gym or uh, whatever Absolutely. it is, you know, be f- in finding some of these uh, places, these opportunities, if you don't know where to look yourself. Of course, uh, in this day and age of Google, Google is a pretty, you know, uh, simple thing. You can just, you know, Google some of that stuff and see if you can find anything uh, near you. Uh, but, you know, 
rolling around on mats, uh, fighting, uh, you know, doing Krav, whatever, force on force, whether that's with guns or without guns, uh, any, any of that you do, I, I, I do think makes a, a big impact on your ability to start controlling yourself when you're under the gun. And by under the gun, I'm using, yes, by when you are under stress. Yes, absolutely. Um, just to, to expand on that a little bit, Riley, yeah. here's, here's what we found. You know, this, I would love to see the day where, where, where we have schools like ours, where um, it's the, the school is really designed for it to take a holistic training approach. I think that's, I think that's needed in moving the, in moving the paradigm forward in, in the modern age. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, shoot. I lost my train of thought again. What was your question? <laughs> Well, you were going to expand upon what I was saying. Oh, oh here we go. Here we yeah. go. I got it. I got it. I got it. So what's ha- what, what we've observed professionally is that we have people that have firearm skills and we yeah. have people that have hands-free skills. And yeah. when they're introduced to stress, if they're training one or the other, that's what they have a tendency to go to because that's yeah. what they're comfortable with, right? And then we have people that are trained in hands-free skills and firearm skills, and they have the ability to use one or the other, mm. but typically they will use one or the other. They won't use them simultaneously or in tandem as this sort of interdependent holistic system. Mm. And with training and time, the brain starts to make these associations that they can integrate these things together because chances are very good they're going to have to. They're going to have to look, they're going to have to use it as a whole system as opposed to this compartmentalized system where those skills are sort of isolated in these independent silos of they're So they're training in a way that, that forces the nervous system to, to experience them as mutually exclusive mm. because they're not being trained together. So for yeah. example, when I roll, right, I roll um, uh, with some guys at a pretty high level at a pretty high level place um and submission grappling right i've got one of the best coaches in the world four out of five rounds when i roll i roll as if i'm armed so i will take that strategy as if i have a firearm on me and i'm working through those principles and that strategy four out of five rounds one of those rounds out of five i'm going to have fun i'm going to do submission grappling like everybody else does but i'm always working the same context and the same strategy i'm not saying everyone should be like me okay i'm just saying i think it's that important that we are really looking at things in, in an integrated way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hence integrated defense, defense strategies. strategies. Right on, man. Right I on. get it now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah man, man. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, all right. So we are kind of getting down to where we would probably typically start wrapping it up, but I want to just kind of throw it back at you. What is there that you would like to talk about today that we haven't been able to talk about so far? Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about our affiliate program, if that's okay. All right. Sure. Um, If we have anybody out there that's listening, or if you, if you're listening, if you know somebody that might be interested in becoming an instructor in this style of training uh, where we take, we use a lot of inert weapons, primarily the cert. We do our curriculum. A lot of it is built around the cert seven different levels of training first two levels are going to be inert integrated with hands-free skills and and intermediate skills level three is a force on force certification level four is is live fire Uh, level four and five is live fire and six is live fire but it's still Mm -hmm. we take an integrated approach and then we have a seventh level which is the highest possible level it's kind of the equivalent of becoming an ids black belt Mm -hmm. and uh, we literally will give people who reach that level a cape with our logo on the back of it so that'll be something fun that we'll be doing in the future. If you're interested in that, uh, in that type of training where you can come to us and we'll certify you in this type of a, of a holistic training approach, um, give us a call. We provide all different types of support. We have a really great online uh, portal uh, for instructors with all types of videos and diagrams and, and uh, lesson plans in real time. And we also offer a lot of marketing support. So for people who are interested in in sort of entering into what we call the new paradigm in firearms training, please contact us. You can go to our website, www.thisisids.com, and you can click on affiliates. And then you can see uh, right now we have between 30 and 35 affiliates in North America, in the continental United States and Canada. Um, And you can check out what affiliates that we might have in your area. And you can fill out a questionnaire there that uh, we'll, we'll get back in touch with you and start 
uh, taking you through the onboarding process for, for becoming an affiliate. Or if you're just an end user, not just but an end user who's looking for this type of training, go there and look at our, our directory and find someone in your area that does the type of training that we do um, so that we can facilitate, uh, facil- facilitate your needs in that way. Um, you know, one of our, our core missions at IDS is to really be a champion for, a, for the citizen defender, for people who have it in their DNA and in, in their blood to watch over the flock, mm. right? I feel like we're living in a society today that shames those types of people and demonizes those types of people. And we want to provide a culture and a place where people can land that says, no, don't be ashamed of that, right? Don't be ashamed of that, but handle that part of you in a way that is measured and responsible. Get the right training that you need to do that. But also be bold. Be bold about that. That's that for some of us, that's why we live, right? Yeah. Every day. We get up every day. That's why we breathe. That's why it's why we do what we do. We're protectors. Right. And uh so for those of you who are like that, support one another. Don't be don't be afraid to be bold about about who you are in that way. Support one another and go out and, and uh get the training get the training that you need and continue to practice, practice on a regular basis. I'm talking on a daily basis just to reach a level of competence in one skill to reach a level that's called myelination where you have unconscious yeah. competence, right? Un- right. Requires 20 minutes of practice a day for 12 weeks just to get, reach the point of unconscious competence for one skill. And as we all know, those, those skills are, they're perishable. So if we're not practicing them, they will wane and they will fade. So practice, Practice a little, practice a lot, to quote Chad Lyman. So, um, those are the that's sort of the main thing, the main points that I'd want to make. Be bold about who you are. It's okay. We support you. That's awesome, man. Hey, and uh, one more time, where could p- people go to uh, learn more about whether it's your affiliate program or or yeah, other thank y- you. stuff you do? Yeah, I appreciate that. So again, our website is www.thisisids.com. Please check out our Facebook page. Our Facebook page is really our kind of our, our um, it's um, really the hub of our business. We produce lots of video content too with my background in film. We do pr- produce a lot of training content um, and, and lots of ways to support this community. Um, so please check out our videos and, and, and like our page and check us out there. Same with, with YouTube, um, w, w, or w, uh, youtube.com, right? The mm-hmm. integrative defense strategies on YouTube. And for those of you who don't know, I'm a regular contributor on Funker Tactical. So please go to Funker Tactical, check out my stuff. My name is Todd Fossey. And uh, we would be really honored if you would um, come on board and uh, and support our cause. And we'll, we'll support your cause in return. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Hey, you know, this has been uh, this has been a great chat uh, today. And again, it's going to continue somewhat tonight. It will continue. Uh, What we talk about tonight. I don't know, maybe we go deeper on some of the things we talked about here today. Uh, But uh, of course, we'll have the opportunity for Guardian Nation members to ask what's on their minds, ask questions. Yeah, and uh, we'll see. We'll see where that conversation goes. I'm really excited to see you again here. Uh, really, just about six hours or so uh, yeah. for uh, Guardian Nation Live again, folks. That's 7 p.m. Mountain Time. If you're a Guardian Nation member, we hope that you'll try to make sure that you're there. Uh, of course, if you can't make it, you can always watch it in the archives section and in, uh, in the uh, Guardian Nation members area. Uh, and uh, if you'd like to check it out, if you would like to try it for free for 14 days, get signed up today. Concealedcarry.com forward slash 14 day. Now, Todd, uh, we are going to announce this week's winner of our weekly prize giveaway that we do on the podcast that anybody is able to sign up for and participate in, except for employees of Concealedcarry.com. And... <laughs> uh, and uh, this week we're giving away a Tacware TW350 flashlight, uh, and we had a couple hundred submissions. So that's always cool. Good, good Rock crowd, on. you know. So uh, we pick these randomly, and uh, you have a chance every week to renew and go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. That's the right link. Get Probably the best up. self-defense tool that you can have. Heck yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Flashlights are indispensable. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Totally. I mean, yeah. Just just not even talking about the light concept of a flashlight, but as a as it, a striking device, if if need be. Yeah. Great deterrent as, as well. Okay. You got a flashlight on you in your hand, they're probably going to choose somebody else, right? Yeah. So, folks, uh, we are going to announce this week's winner. All right. I am 
clicking the button that is going to pick the random selected winner. And here comes the machine gun drum roll. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Yeah, why why do a drum roll when you can actually do machine guns? <laughs> <laughs> this week's winner is Tori C. Tori C. Uh, we don't, you know, we, we're, we're respectful of people's privacy uh, on announcing these things. So, uh, Tori C. is this week's winner, and uh, Tori will be sending you an email and notifying you of of such, and uh, you have seventy two hours to claim. So, congrats to Tori for winning this week's tactical flashlight. So with that, it is time to bid you all adieu, and uh, we wish everybody the best. Todd, you, sir, again, we'll see you later tonight, but we wish Not you great. the best in all your endeavors. I really appreciate you having me on the show. It's, it's Seriously, it's a, it's a big honor to be here, and you guys are talking about important stuff. Keep going, man. You've got our full support. Awesome, man. Appreciate uh, it. And, and same to you. Seriously. Thank you. I, I love what Thank you're you. doing, man. Thank you. All right, so folks, with that, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.